You are listening to One More Question, a podcast by NiceWork, a branding and service design company. One of the things we do best is asking our clients the right questions. This podcast came about because we wanted to share some of the best answers that we've heard over the last 12 years. We talked to significant creators, experts, and communicators who we've encountered, and we share the useful insights, inspirations, and facts that made us stop and take notes as we go about our work. I'm your host, Ross Drakes. Hello and welcome to the podcast. Today on One More Question, I chat to Fran Lucken, who is the Chief Creative Officer of Grey Africa and one of only 10 people who sits on the Grey Global Creative Board. She started a few years ago as a copywriter, went full digital through the quirk era. She's been awarded many, many times. And just to close all of her achievements out, she went to the Berlin School of Leadership to study her MBA. We chat about the idea of centralized agencies versus decentralized. Uh, we'll unpack a little bit about how the network agencies are collaborating and changing the way they work together to provide more value to the clients and how other companies are able to access these decentralized niche agencies and pull in amazing talent when they really, really need it. Enjoy. So, so picture at this point, you've been introduced beautifully. Yes. The audience is now dying to hear yes, from you. Yes, yes. And they're like super excited. Yes. And they're ready. And you're going to blow them away with the idea about big ad, like big advertising. What do you, you know, before this we were talking like, what, we, what do you think is happening in the world of big advertising? So I think big advertising is getting bigger. Um, so, you know, I've been around... For, I mean, gosh, when I started out in advertising, sort of 1994, there was a bunch of independent, there was, you know, independent um, South African agencies, places like Wright Fitzgerald, Trip and Macon, Jupiter Drawing Room. Over time, those agencies sold a minority share to a network company, typically, and they became TVWA or BBDO. Yeah. Um, I'm oversimplifying because Gray Phillips was around in those days, but it was a minority share. And then what happened is the network companies wanted more and more of a stake. So it moved to the, to the point where there were no minority holdings anymore. It was all majority owned. And that gave the international company control. So the model then was these majority owned networked agencies. And then you know, a couple of smaller independents, King James, an example, Joe Public. Um, what's happening now is that, so it was South African agency, minority stakers acquired by an international network company, holding company, um, that then becomes a majority stake and they become wholly owned. But at that stage, the, there were still competing brands. So the networks like WPP, like Publicis, like Omnicom, still maintained competing brands within the market. So they had the majority share, but the brands still competed. So you'd have Ogilvy going up against uh, JWT going, you know, so they would compete for, and I think that play was all about- Stacking the odds. I've got 10 horses in the race. Absolutely, and and there was no collaboration. So there was no sense that, hey, we're both owned by Omnicom, let's play along. There was none of that. It was, uh, you, you fought tooth and nail against each other. And then I think that has evolved to a model now, probably driven by a desire to, save costs i guess because you know why have six competing uh, agency brands when you can have three very strong ones and i think we can see that in wpp where they've merged ynr and vml and they've merged um uh wonderman and um, jwt so i mean you can see that now that 
there's a consolidation phase. So there was that proliferation. The play was, we'll have loads of competing agency brands. And then, of course, I guess what happens is you then cannibalize off each other. You lose staff to each other. Um, I think the next play was to say, okay, well, let's collaborate. And so you've actually got situations where publicists, the publicist brands all live in the same building now. And they actually work together. Um, increasingly, you've also got clients saying, I want a network, not an agency. So give me a network solution. So we won a piece of business earlier this year. It was a WPP solution. So we went in as WPP and we went in with other WPP agencies. Like five years ago, we would have been fighting them for business. Um, but we went in as a combined, a consolidated pitch together. Um, I've had a situation quite recently where our office in New York um, is helping out another WPP agency on a creative campaign. So the other agency, which is a different agency brand and against which we would have competed five years ago, needs help cracking the new creative campaign for a big brand they've got. And our New York office is helping. Now, that would have been unheard of five years ago. I mean, literally, we would have sent our creatives in to try and win that business off them, right? Now we're going in and... Yeah, a little yeah. birdie would have heard that the no, pitch can, didn't oh, go so well. Totally. So then we would have gone yeah, in yeah. and be like, listen, we've got a big idea Absolutely. And now, but that's just not on the table anymore, you know? Um, and I guess, I guess part of the reason is to consolidate, to save... Because, you know, every time you set up an agency brand, it's got a whole lot of... There's a cost center involved with each of it. So that, I think part of the idea is also to save money by having one back end. So you've got one support system, one HR office, one finance office. Um, shared by the brand. So, I mean, you know, our business is run by accountants now. So that's part of the reason. But I also think there's more power in having built up these specialist agencies. Um, why not bring them together and get them to work? Because clients' business is so... Um, because the media is so diverse now, why not? If you've built up a great digital agency brand, why not make it work with your traditional agency brand together? To service the client so i think there's some sense in it where as a combined network offering you can give the best digital support the best traditional and you can bring in a retail specialist but you then work together i wonder if a lot of this is not also being driven by the the economy and the client's needs sure. you know the clients are getting squashed harder and oh harder sure and the, the need to perform is increasingly yeah. growing and budgets are shrinking, sure. but targets are extending. Sure. Is this not the natural reaction to this? Mm. Yeah, and I think from, so it's interesting because I think at the at the CMO level, at C-suite level, it makes a lot of sense for them. Like, let's do, let's have one point of contact instead of hiring multiple different agencies, which all have their own overheads, which we in some way absorb. Let's go with one uh, solution, you know, we will take the best talent from all their offerings. So the network we want has got a great digital offering. It's got a great retail offering. It's got a great, we will take the best of those and we will have all of that. The, the network will have to figure out how that works. It's not going to be our overhead. They'll figure that out. Um, on the ground level, on the sort of street level, I, it, you know, you do have a little bit of resistance because you've got brand managers who are used to having their own agency at their beck and call, which now have to work with... You know, so there's a little bit of that centralized power 
Mm. Oh, so now do you think the, the the brands feel a little bit invisible in these bigger... I think it's a danger and I think you have to make very sure that they don't feel that way. You know, that you having offered the... Like that's the thing, best of breed. We'll give you the best of breed. Having offered that, you actually now need to, to follow Don't up worry. on that. And it's a tough one. Operationally, it's tough um, to put together uh, an agency of specialists who serves one client. You know, it's a... It, it, you're almost forming an instant agency in that situation. It can be quite, it can be quite tough. Well, this, I mean, this, my, this is my next question is how do you, how do you go from these different agencies that have yeah. different egos and yeah. different cultures yeah. and now you seemingly have to all play along yeah. even though you might believe in your heart of hearts that you could do that piece of work better but it's yeah. not being given to you because yeah. you're not the specialist in it. How's that played out for you? So it can be disastrous. Like I have, I mean, there are there are stories in the industry of, of it being disastrous. I think what does help is that you have one, so you pick the best specialist in that. So you don't have two traditional above-the-line agencies in that uh, offering. So you have a, you pick one above-the-line agency, one digital specialist, one retail specialist. So you pick the agency for, for the specialization that it's good at. And then what we've done, because we have a situation where we won uh, this, the Distel Tier 1 brands as a WPP consortium uh, um, earlier this year. And what we did was we we didn't rely on the model to make it work for us because, you know, human beings are not, uh, we don't, that it work like that where you go, here's the template, go, you know, go make it work. Uh, we've actually worked quite hard to make sure that the leaders of all the agencies had good relationships with each other. So we, we did a lot of work as agency leaders working with the other agency leaders to get everyone on board and say, listen, we can, let's do this properly and let's be humble about it. And then I have been quite adamant about not treating any of the specialist creative partners as uh, afterthoughts. So. Second class citizens. Sure, I mean, you know, especially with a brand, with a, um, a client like Distel, so much of the war is won on the shelf, right? In 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 the store, and I mean, you know, I come from a background where you get you get a TV brief and you do a big TV brand and you never think about the what happens in tops is not my problem, but now you have to think about it from the store from the shelf out. And I learned a lot during the pitch because we had the retail specialists in the room in the brainstorm right up front. So when we were sitting thinking of the big idea, we actually had the retail specialists in the room with us, where we had the creative director from the retail. And that was fascinating because he made me think about it differently. So from the beginning, we've tried to involve, we've been quite adamant about involving like PR up front. So if you want to do a big promotion, a lot of the work is, it's got to be, it's got a promotional element. It's got to be there's a there's a you have to amplify it on social media so having a PR person in the room when you're coming up with a big idea is quite useful because they'll be able to tell you whether you'll even be able to get the media to show any interest in that or not um, so we did a lot of we've done a lot of legwork and we still are to make sure we involve people early in the idea so that we don't just throw the idea over the wall to you know and I mean I've seen that happen where you come up with this big fancy TV idea and a campaign idea and it's quite esoteric and then you present it to agency partners and you see the look on the retail person's face when they're going, how, how? 
am I going to put that into a trade presenter to take to the merchandiser at macro? Yeah. Like that is just. What does that look like on a pallet? Yeah, yeah, so sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and the, the nature of the business has been useful because you've literally got to, I mean, we have situations where you've got to crack the idea by Tuesday because they're printing the shrink wrap. And while that is a curse, it's also an interesting problem because you've got to think, I've got to come up with an idea I can make into a badge almost. I've literally got to have it, at, like it's got to be a stamp. Like, so if nobody's seen a TV ad or seen anything on social media, well, like, how does that how does that work? And that is where having having a retail specialist in the room from the get-go is quite interesting or having a social media expert because, you know, they, they just come at it from a different direction. So we've we've really tried to build that into the operating model to say... Into the, you know, to the the way we traffic the work, to say don't just bring everyone in at the end. So, so I think what's interesting is it it feels like the clients are getting more more value for their money yeah. by investing with these big yeah big kind of network <clears throat> yeah. deals, and you guys are being forced to almost think a little bit better and yeah. the advertising people are almost pulling the retail people. The retail people are having to sure. think a bit harder yeah. about how they do retail and the advertising people are going to have to think a bit yeah. harder about how their idea lives in yeah. in advertising. Yeah. So, so everything's getting better. Yeah, and I think for the client, there's less complexity as well. You don't have to manage as many relationships. The, the overhead of managing all the specialist partners lies with the agency now. It's up to us to make sure everyone's on board, everyone's briefed, everyone, we, you know, when we, so when we have a big presentation, it's up to us to make sure the PRs being thought through the the you know so you're actually as a client passing on a lot of that headache. You don't have to manage integration between your partner agencies now. The, the agency does it, and it isn't. I mean, I think the quality of the ideas is potentially better as well. It's that integration everyone's been chasing after, and the way that agencies tried to. So what you know when the interwebs became a thing and the digitals was, you know, what agencies... Multimedia. Yes, Multimedia. yes. Oh, my heavens, interactive. Yes, yes. CD, CD-ROMs, oh, DVDs. stop it. I mean, I remember this. I'm older than the internet. This is horrifying. <laughs> but um, so what happened when that started becoming a thing was that big agency networks started their own agencies. They, so they started specialist digital companies. And then what happens is because it's a different... They literally shanghaied themselves because what, what they did was in order to have that offering, they'd either acquire a digital company or they'd form one, but it became a separate company. So, um, you know, an agency would have, the, the agency network would start up a digital offering, but it would actually have its own P&L. And so if the traditional agency wanted to use it, it was literally like using a supplier and you have to pay, which was sometimes prohibitive. Um, if you had a client who didn't have, a budget allocated to digital and you wanted to do something in that field, it, it, it was prohibitive because that's how they did it. They started up separate businesses with that yeah. specialist offering. And that was that play where the, you know, it was the same play as the agency brands, having a multiple multiplicity of agency brands. And then that kind of screws you over because then you have the problem of integration where you go, well, we've got a client, we've got a brief. Actually, it would be great to do something on social media. But we don't have that offering. I mean, I encountered in agencies where I worked before where the agency was, I was in the traditional above the line agency. They had a digital offering, but it was a separate P&L. It was a separate business. And if that business was not on the client's retainer, I couldn't use them. 
So if I had a brief and I'd go, wow, I wonder, it'd be really cool to throw this to like the social media guys and see what they do with it because I think it's a better use of their money than TV. I couldn't do it because I'd then have to pay. I mean, it was tricky and it actually held back integration. It held back. And you saw agencies like, um, oh, damn it, Ogilvy Cape Town, for example, it was all one PL. So they had Ogilvy One, but it was the same. So it was one PL. So it was in their interest to pass it through. Absolutely. The, through the and you saw, I mean, they were a pioneer agency with regard to great, you know, integrated campaigns. I mean, I calling uh, Be the Coach, a lot of that stuff for Polo, they were pioneers in this country. And that was because there was no um, barrier within the agency. And that, that, that business, that practice of starting specialist agencies with a separate PL was it was a play so that you could maybe then win competing business. And it was a, the thought was we can get more of the pie, but it actually then just stood in the way of actually getting more of the client's business because you, you know, you'd ring fence the specializations. And now this move is actually against that. It's saying, well, let's bring everyone together. Let's bring those specialist agencies under the same roof. So instead of happening at an Ogilvy brand level or a Gray no, brand level, it's, it's happening not at happening the, at a, a network. And I think level. the networks would have been the only ones with a clout to make that happen. To be honest, you know. Um, so we, we, you know, and then, yeah. So it's coming from the highest, highest level. So, so I mean, this is all well and good if you are yeah. a Distel or yeah. Uh, yeah. SAB or. Mm -hmm. uh, a macro one of these companies that has yeah. sort of a significant budget to, yeah. to spend then going the sort of centralized network yeah. route is, is great what happens to the companies that sit in the mid-market or that don't have the same level of budget yeah. that can be blown yeah. how do they tap into some of this this sort of magic like yeah. what's in it for them well i think there's more options now than there's ever been so with the I mean, if you look at, um, you know, if you look at what's happened with social media and with how easy it is to get something out there online, and you know, you, you you can make I can make a Facebook ad and promote it. Like it's it's the barriers to entry for getting into the communication business are lower than they've ever been. Like it's I feel like you want you know, literally the means of production have moved into the hands of the workers. Like it's literally like that. So the, the barriers to entry of getting your brand out there are lower than they've ever been, I think. The trick is to know how it works. So um, the cost barrier is very low now, but the uh, uncouth barrier is very high. So you can cock it up royally. And I think we've all, we know, you know, if you don't know what you're doing on social media, you can get horribly, so you can you can pay a minimal amount of money, get your message out there. It'll get seen by enough people, but unfortunately, it may then go viral for the wrong reason. Yeah. Well, in one scenario, you don't do it right, and mm -hmm. nobody notices, and nobody yeah. cares. Yeah. And in the other one, people notice, but they notice for all the yeah. wrong reasons. Yeah. And so, from a cost point of view, it's easy. It's easy to get your like the you know media has been democratized to the extent where you can actually promote your brand quite inexpensively, but. You have to kind of know what you're doing. Fortunately, that expertise now lies, a lot of it lies outside agencies. So you don't need to hire a big networked agency anymore. I mean, so I was saying to you earlier how a lot of what I do now is looking for talent because a lot of the really hot talent is not working in agencies anymore. They are, and they're not even purely freelancing, they have set up their own companies. 
So there is a lot of talent lying outside of traditional ad agencies, which is they are available to hire. They are they've grown up on social media. They know exactly how to use it. They know what to do. They um, they're quick. You know, an increasing amount of very very good talent is set up as independent shops, and um, you know the barriers to entry to get into advertising has always been quite low. You needed you needed two Macs and a desk and a brain basically, but it's even lower than before now because what with with the advent of places like WeWork, you don't even need an office anymore. You don't need to pay for you know none of that back end. You don't need a receptionist. You don't need you can actually just set up, and there's a lot of really, really great people, um, independence, tiny. I don't think they have any plans to ever sell their companies to any kind of in, you know, international network. Um, but they're working outside of the system, and I think they are available to hire. They, are, they know exactly what buttons to press on social media and in kind of online. So I think there's there's actually more access to better talent than there's ever been, and it's outside the agency system. I also think there's definitely, you know, we're seeing a lot of our clients have internal teams, mm-hmm. and often those internal teams have great talent yeah. and people who understand the business on a like a far deeper level than any yeah. agency will mm-hmm. ever have the Absolutely. time or appetite to kind yeah. of understand. Yeah, and and I, I suppose what's interesting is the opportunity for clients is to to assemble their own yeah. network-like yeah. team and buy the right experts. Sure. Be it from your internal staff, yeah. be it from finding an agency yeah. you know, that sits outside your company yeah. to do it and, and piece that together. Yeah, I mean, there are great um, sort of independent artisans working as collectives that you can, you know, that are available to you. They, I think, I, I think that the impression I get is a lot of, a lot of the time they have um, love projects that they use advertising to fund. And so if you have you have an interesting brand, you don't have to have a lot of money. If you've got an interesting brand and you are happy to let them be creative on it, I think they, you know, they would... And it, I mean, they don't carry in even a third or of the, the overheads of a traditional agency. So the, you've got access to that kind of talent, which I don't think you had before. And then if you look at... So the development of in-house agencies is very interesting because a few years ago that was I mean no creative person in their right mind would work in an internal agency but it's very interesting to see how that's changed and I guess it's the threshold theory right it's the so you know what they say if one person in a crowd throws a stone like everyone will be horrified if two people do it so gradually like you get to the point where enough people are throwing a stone where it becomes an acceptable thing to do and everyone yes. does it right so and I think it's been a, a variation of that where there's actually very good creative people working and there's nice work coming out of places like Outsurance, you know, producing really good product. Um, and I think also the, the, the life on the corporate side is a little bit easier on the soul. It's not as pressurized. It seems to be a little easier on the soul. Do you know what I mean? I think, <laughs> so I think, you know, in years gone by, you know, if you were a creative person, you, you, you would never have dreamt of going to work at a corporate, like it would, you know, because it was all about art, you know. Uh, and I think, I think enough people have interests, art, you know, interests outside of advertising now, where the thought of working in a corporate, fairly regular hours, good 
decent pay is, is quite acceptable. And as a result, the work being done is getting better because they're attracting better people. So there's, I mean, our insurance does some really nice work. I see some lovely things coming out of there. And you've got places like Fjord doing, you know, the great stuff coming out of there. I think it's also, you know, so we, we often advise our clients to, to insource the core functionality. Yeah. So where you're spending most of your time, most of your energy, that should be an internal team. Yeah. And then you find a company like Nicework to step in and yeah. do the the once or for the upliftment or yeah. creating the, yeah. the original, the initial strategy yeah. and then get them to onboard your internal yeah. team on that yeah. and equip them with the tools to sort of run it on a, yeah. a day-to-day basis. Yeah. And I think there is the business models are shifting whereas it used to be media was where all the cash was made yeah. and then it was rollout was where yeah, all the yeah, cash yeah. was made. Yeah. And now I think clients have more and more power than they they ever have yeah but at the same time like you mentioned that these smaller agencies also have power in terms of i don't want to do that yeah i don't want to do that work so i'm not yeah, going I mean, to so guys like Backroads and just worked with or the napster collective they are independents and they they have so with napster it's stand-up uh backroads it's design fashion like they have that but they also are highly gifted you know you bring them in they'll crack a Brilliant campaign for you. They roll it out. Um, the overheads are low, so they can pick and choose what work they do. You know, they they um, and I think they've they've kind of got that right where they where they their rate card is 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 a good one for them. They earn they earn good money. They can then use that to subsidize whatever else they're doing because um, they're not carrying the overheads of a finance department and HR and you know they've chosen that nimbleness. And now, I mean, like I said, you don't even have to have an office anymore. You know, you can just borrow space. You can rent space. So I think it's a very interesting development, and there's some incredible talent lying outside of the agencies. I mean, when I work with some of these people, I go, geez, I wish I could lock you in a room so that you could never leave. But they that's not how they work. It's not. It's, it's really great to see because it is a... Is that, there's that fresh talent choosing to work in an entirely independent way, and that's what makes them fresh, actually. That's what makes their thinking so kind of original. And they've got the freedom to go, well, I need a month off or, or whatever, you know, or they can pursue an outside interest. And equally, they can also do love jobs, so if there's something that really appeals to them, they can then just, you know, they can do that. And what are some of the examples of... of interesting work that you've seen happen that's not necessarily massive budgets um so i've seen some work for jägermeister which i thought was really nice um and that was done <clears throat> through like, i think a small agency in in durban but it was a there actually all of it was driven by a community manager who's just who was really creative had a great relationship with the client and they found all sorts of ways i mean People who know how to do this can break the internet quite easily. I mean, I've worked with a couple of people like that where they literally, they know how to break the internet. You know, I worked with a girl who every morning I'd arrive at work and she'd have a list of trending Twitter topics written on the wall and she would study them and she would think about how she could leap on them. And so there's, there, if you understand how these things work, how the conversations work, if you know which buttons to press, you can, you can really manipulate conversations and get... And I had seen, you know, with, with Jägermeister, they've done some really interesting projects. They've collaborated with Jack Parrow. They've done, 
kind of it's all a bit crazy and it doesn't have that high level polish but it, there's something just very fresh about it so i saw some i saw some really nice work for that was done for jagermeister which i've you know i really enjoyed and it had a kind of freedom about it and i think a lot of it was driven by that relationship between the community manager and the client and they um and a lot of it is actually down to that chemistry you know ultimately no matter how big you are or how big your client is if you have chemistry if you trust each other i guess it helps then if there's fewer layers of people in between you and the client mm. so being a small independent or a, a freelance creative collective you've actually you have more access to the decision makers i guess which enables you to do like quite fresh work well, isn't this all of the same trends? I mean, you're saying so like the, the C-suite, there's a CMO. So yeah. marketing is now sitting on a C-level. So mm-hmm. now they're being being asked C-level questions and yeah. not just, how's yeah. my brand? Oh, look, I've got my PR report. I've got 802 <clears throat> million yeah. impressions, yeah. which is worth $406 trillion. Yes. I've done yes. my job. It's yes. now like, okay, what are the sales happening? And I yeah. think this is the same thing happening on a smaller level where it's, you know, we we need to work directly with the clients we need to work yeah. directly with the people who can yeah. influence the change and actually yeah. deliver on it because yeah. you require that in order to deliver that work and i think it does yeah. require that two-way relationship so yeah. it's you need to be able to spend time with the client to understand their scenario yeah. their world what their pressure points yeah. are how much money they have to spend yeah. because you can't just go, I have a 400 million rand budget yeah. and then just start throwing cash around. If you've got yeah. 50 grand a month, yeah. how do you deliver on that? Yeah, so it makes you think about it very differently. I mean, I, another one I loved was uh, Dickies invading Fashion Week with um, just people wearing Dickies. I mean, it, like it's the it's the simplest idea on the planet. But it, it, And what was interesting about that was the community knew so, you know, using social media, you can build a community of followers and people who advocate for you. And those people knew. If you were in, you know, if for everyone else, I don't think they even realized, but those people knew. And then it gets talked about. And then it just builds that brand kudos enormously. So you've literally got, with social media, you've literally got, you're harnessing the power of word of mouth, essentially. And I mean, it's incredibly powerful. If you know how to use that, then you can punch well above your weight as a brand. You've got that sort of insider, that kind of insider kind of feeling. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting for me to observe how much like on the street stuff happens. So how much cool stuff there is happening almost on a street level that people know about. And of course, I'm an old fart, so I, I learn it when people tell me, but it's fascinating. <laughs> So you're not there on the street seeing it. No, no, no. Live. I'm like I'm sitting on my armchair and people are telling me stuff. Yeah. Um, but there's just the creativity, I guess. What's exciting about how the decentralization of media, the democratization of media, is how, how what people are doing with it. So I mean, you know, you look on TikTok, it, that's a wormhole. Just people playing, but there's some incredible, you know, stuff out there. I think people are getting so, you know, if you think of a few years ago, to be able to get your hands on publishing tools was not a thing. Mm. You could literally not get, to get something out into the world, you'd have to pay money to have something printed or to have something shot. And do you know what I mean? It wasn't, now you literally have access to publishing. You can publish, you can self-publish on all kinds of ways. Um, and it's fascinating to see what people are doing with that. So there's this incredible 
creativity outside of of advertising, which almost not almost an alternative universe. And I guess part of the challenge is how do you harness that without being the grandpa at the party, you know? But I suppose I mean it looks like there are these two two sort of strategies emerging. There's the the centralized one where it's about being yeah. more efficient with yes. the massive resources that you have yes. and applying them in yeah. the practical spaces yeah. and then using your weight of your spend to yeah. kind of blanket those practical spaces with your good ideas. Which, yeah, which is still possible to do, yeah. And then on the other side, there's how do you find something or someone that knows how to seed a message <clears throat> in an interesting yeah. or clever way. Yeah. And they're almost like two different, yeah, two different worlds that are, are playing. Absolutely. Out. So the one is almost the mass communication model where you just use lots of money to get your message out. But I think it's it's evolving. Whereas the mass communication model used to just be like, oh well, we bought SABC yeah, one, yeah, two, and three, yeah, yeah. and Mnet, yeah. we're covered. Yeah. Or we bought the sport. You know, yeah, so it's on yeah. at the rugby. Everyone has seen our sure, ad. Yeah. Now it's like, okay, we need to be more. We need to understand that this thing's happening on a yeah, shelf level. Yeah. Or this is under happening, yeah. you know, like in the little banner ad, you know, over here. And that is where I think bringing, inviting people into the room who may not have been in the room is important. So, um, you know, the trick lies in, as a big agency, trying to still harness some of that streetness, some of that creativity that's not lying in an agency. So either being very, very open to bringing in freelancers um, or I guess just inviting specialists into the brainstorm process that may not have been in it before. So talking, letting you know the retail people in, listening before you come up with a TV idea to what might happen, considering what might happen on a shelf before mm. you come up with a TV idea. Um, you know, have yeah, just just maybe even listening to the the PR person telling you what's happening or the social media. I find the social, like social media teams are incredibly connected with what's obviously they would be. What's going on? But actually, have them in the room the before time. you start. Before you start coming up with the big, you know, before you start with the TV, I think about like what are people talking about? What are they doing? What's, I mean, yeah. We do a thing for for our clients uh, when we're kind of we've, we've done with the the brand and the strategy and the mm. positioning and the messaging, and now it's like, well, how do we take it mm -hmm. out there? We do a session where we 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 buy in the talents, we buy in the yeah. the people for a five hour facilitated session. Yep. You can step in and yeah. bring that perspective because yeah. you sometimes you don't necessarily need it twenty four seven. Right. You can just yeah. let it point you, let them point yeah. you in the right direction, yeah. and then you can can go. Um, it's, yeah, it's like a different way of tapping into it as opposed to trying to have it all. Yeah, I mean, you don't have time. to own you don't have to own that talent all the time. You can harness it, you know, bring it in, and there's a lot of people operating like that now because they like flexibility and freedom so so i think combining you know the, the yeah the big network agencies bringing all their specialists together under one roof combining so it's it's a, it's an attempt also to bring diversity of thinking into the room so it's a way to get people working together from the get go but then also that that thing of just being more in touch with um what's happening, what the what creative people are doing outside of the system, you know. So so if I were gonna force you to sort of no. navel gaze, no. you know, we've come from independence to mini networks no. to 
huge networks with freelancers floating around. Where do you think this is all? I really was hoping you weren't going to ask me that. So I'm. Okay, well, I'm just going to take a complete flyer, and I might be terribly wrong. So, part of the movement is bringing. So, whereas before you had competing agency brands, some of which were specialists in different media, now the move is to bring them all under one roof, and then they work together. It's kind of a federation. What might be an option, and I think could happen, and in fact, we have a little bit of it in our grey. Uh, network is an incubation model where so we said you've got a lot of really bright young creative collectives who don't want to be part of an agency but they need office space and they need back-end support someone's got to do the book somebody's gonna make sure they get paid if you are moving all your specialist agencies under one roof why not make space for a couple of these collectives you don't own them you give them so we we do we have a thing called um, we do we do incubation so we do what we think a thing called grave ventures internationally where you literally give free office space to a startup or a bunch of young creators or even a, I mean we've had a, a a group of young like youth marketers you literally give them free office space and back end support in exchange for a certain number of hours per month. So that might be another model where you almost have a federation model. So you've got these specialists all under one roof, um, but then you also bring in perhaps collectives, collectives of creatives who can they can have office space with you free of charge. They give you a certain number of hours per month, and then you help them with their books and like whatever else it is. So it's it's almost kind of helping them with the tedious back end and then in exchange, almost a barter system, getting some creative input. So that's that's a model that's happening in quite a few of our offices, particularly with tech. So young, you know, Singapore office has got quite a few young tech startups where literally they come in and they share the building. So that might be a way of going. It's just keeping that freshness without owning it. You don't have to own it. You coexist and then you, you, you use it. into it. Yeah. And that gives both parties a lot of flexibility. Um, so that might be, interestingly, where, where you might go is more of a loose federation. So it feels less like a big network and more of a collect, like a, a federation of specialists all under one roof who collaborate. That could be quite interesting. It could almost be the anti-network where you literally become... And at this point, the production team is actually the one that rules because well, the organizer yeah. has yeah, a harder yeah. job than the creative. So sure. So operations becomes, and I've seen that happen as well, operations becomes the most important thing because you've got to pull together uh, these sort of independently operating units. So that could be an interesting one. You almost become either Switzerland, you become like Switzerland or the United States where you're a federation of people who have your own bottom line but you you collaborate more and more often because it works for you that could be very interesting actually and as long as there's a canteen i mean if there's a canteen i'm up for that fine, yeah okay. yeah completely uh, and i mean just just to close it out if you had a brand how would you how would you go about picking between this decentralized or centralized like how like yeah. what would the indicators in either direction be for you I think it would be largely driven by, I guess, what 
what your kind of media budget was, right? So if you are, and you're, I guess it's actually probably all about your your positioning, your strategy, who you're appealing to. Do you need to go onto mass media? Do you have that money or, or are you, you know, what, what manner? So it all comes back to what your purpose is and who you're appealing to. Um, if you have a niche sort of fashion brand, um, you know, you, you, you might not go like the big networked agency route because there's ways to get the word out without necessarily relying on, on mass media. There, it's more about who's in the know. So it's more about that kind of community of people who know the secret. Um, I think ultimately, even even more, impo- more importantly than the money would be about what's your, who do you want to appeal to? So if you are selling, if you're KFC, you know, you're going to want to cover all those bases because you're a mass brand and you have a portfolio of offerings. So not all of your offerings are going to be on TV. You might offer some of them on different channels. But if you are, I'm trying to think of an example now. Um, so, I mean, for example, Red Bull, they have, a, that's why I say it's not always about the money because I think Red Bull has a very high media spend, but they spend yeah. none of it on traditional media because... Their their strategy is not so so they are about extreme sports and and, and adventure and I think that they they they're interesting because they come across like a niche brand but they aren't they're quite mass so that's their strategy that's how they've chosen so it's 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 more it's less about the money you've got and more about what how do you want to come across what yeah, do you want what to what is your purpose what is yeah, your positioning what you, yeah what do you, how do you want to appeal do you want to be you know that that brand that's really so do, do you want to appeal to a kind of niche audience of early adopters and thereby also be cool to a larger mass of people or do you actually just want to have a mass appeal just kind you know so and i mean to be fair a lot of big network agencies will also work on smaller brands if they're cool if they're interesting if they you know if they present a nice opportunity to do interesting work so i mean if i, if I look at uber you know, Uber's a very desirable brand, but they don't spend huge amounts of money, but it's a cool brand to be associated with. And it's a is tech it? brand. Is it? Well, <laughs> I, love, I love Uber. I'm a huge fan. So, yeah. I mean, but yeah. I, I mean, it's arguable, but yes. Um, so you, you do get highly desirable brands who don't have big media spend because they are an interesting proposition, you know, or they, they're, they're just really interesting to get your head around. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for your time. Oh, it's a pleasure. It's been fun. And, um, you know, if we were going to celebrate this podcast, what what bottle of liquor should I go home and buy? Oh, uh, well, I'm a red wine person myself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. A bottle of red. Bottle of red. Bottle of red. So after all that talk of Distel, you didn't even, like, have the opportunity to throw out, like, a brand. Well, they do have wines. Okay. They do, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, they have the JC LaRue stable and they also, um, what is it, Fourth, Ave- uh, Fourth Avenue? Okay, JC yeah. LaRue. And Niederberg as well. Okay, and I can Niederberg, get behind. Yeah. I'm yeah, going to yeah. have a pink bottle of JC LaRue now. They're actually, they're, they've got drier champagnes now, which are very pleasant. So it's not, you, actually, they have a couple of sort of newer ones, which are drier, which are actually very nice. So, yeah, I mean, they, they make a, a huge range of, uh, of, of brands. I mean, completely off topic. I was yes. in Potchefstroom with Francois 
as many you years do. ago. Oh, right. You were, yes. And what JC LaRue was, yeah. was the pre-game. Yeah, yeah. So all the kids would go and buy like the big bottle of JC LaRue. Really? And smash it in like 20 minutes. Oh, and my then word. they would go out. Oh, my goodness. That's, that's so odd. I remember I mean, when I was growing up, JC LaRue was kind of what you started on in your family. In your family, when you had a family occasion and you were going to have some sparkling wine and you you know what i mean that was the thing you'd, you'd start with because it was a bit sweeter yeah um but yeah they have they have much drier ones now that's very and exciting yeah yeah i am gonna drink a bottle of jc larue dry champagne tonight. please do good <laughs> cool and we'll catch you in the next one yeah that'll be great thank you this is fun Thank you for listening. We believe sharing knowledge is an obligation. So if you know someone who would benefit from useful insights to stay relevant in the world of creativity, brand innovation, technology, and interacting in this new world, please share this podcast with them. On top of that, we welcome feedback, good or bad. So if you've got some, please reach out to us. One more question is brought to you by the people at NiceWork, a branding and service design company in Johannesburg, South Africa. If you would like to chat about the challenges you're facing, reach out at www.nicework.co.za. We release an episode every week, so please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're really old school, hit us up and we'll make you a mixtape.